Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross. For 80 years, Capital Blue Cross has offered products that provide peace of mind and promote good health. Focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Health and Wellness Centers that provide in-person service and inspire healthy living. Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross. Live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, who is studying a new surgical technique that allows surgeons to make repairs to the heart without having to open the chest cavity and while the heart is beating. Info at upmcpinnacle.com. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. In the 2012 midterm election, Pennsylvanians voted 50 percent to 49 percent Democratic over Republican in U.S. House races. One would think that that near 50-50 political split among residents would be reflective in the delegates that were sent to Congress. But of the Commonwealth's 18 congressional seats, 13 were held by Republicans, five by Democrats, not the even split reflected in the electorate. This unevenness has been attributed to a process called gerrymandering, redrawing congressional district lines to favor one party or another. District lines are redrawn every 10 years following a census so that congressional delegates more accurately represent the will of the changing population. In Pennsylvania, the lines were drawn by the party holding the majority in the state house, in that case, Republicans. A joint effort between the Keystone Crossroads Collaborative of Pennsylvania's public radio reporters and PennLive Patriot News has produced over the line an examination of the state's redistricting process and the equity thereof. Joining us on today's program is WITF's Emily Previty and from Philadelphia, WHYY's Lindsay Lazarski, both of Keystone Crossroads. Welcome to the program. Morning, Scott. Morning. Good morning. Also joining us is Wallace McKelvey. He's the State House reporter for Penn Live Patriot News. Wallace, welcome to the show. Uh, glad to be here. If you have a question or a comment, uh, give us a call, 1 800 729 7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. I have to admit that uh, a few years ago, if I would have mentioned redistricting to someone on the street, uh, often the look what I would get is eyes glazing over, that it wasn't an issue that was on a lot of people's radar. But today, I have to say that that is not the case, that this is probably one of the priority issues for many people who are active in uh, politics here in Pennsylvania. So let's start with the over-the-line project, describing it before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of uh, of, of what you found and what you're reporting on. Tell us about the, the project Over the Line, Emily. So that's a collaboration between um, PennLive, WITF, um, and Keystone Crossroads. Um, Lindsay Lazarski from WHYY, she's been reporting on um, the redistricting issue for about a year uh, now. And so she's been contributing a lot from, from the Keystone WHYY end. And we have um, reporters contributing from WPSU and ESA in Pittsburgh as well. Um, Wallace, uh, Charlie Thompson, Nick Miloski are some of the reporters from um, PennLive, their editor, Teresa Bonner, uh, who are, are contributing content to the project. Um, and Wallace, you've been reporting on the redistricting issue for, what, six months to a year as well, correct? Yeah, it's a consistent issue, and it's most important right now because we're in this window of time where if you want to change the system, you need to work now. In Pennsylvania, the way the laws are set up, the way the Constitution works, um, you would need to pass a uh, pass 
the bill twice in the state legislature and then get it to a voter referendum in order to uh, make any changes to how these districts are drawn. And that's kind of why we're doing this project right now. This is why it's important that people understand how redistricting works and also how gerrymandering works, the way the system is set up currently. And what? just to add on to that, sorry, Scott. No, go ahead, um, Lindsay. So re- redistricting happens every 10 years. So the next round of re- redistricting uh, will happen not just in Pennsylvania but around the country um, after the 2020 census. Mm-hmm. So just like Wallace said, if, if any changes were to be made in Pennsylvania um, and, and the rules that are set up for how the process works, um, it would have to. It would have to happen now. Wallace, let me turn to you first, and Lindsay will come back to you. Uh, that observation I made right off the top that uh, this has become a priority issue with those who are active in uh, Pennsylvania. Wallace, would you agree with that? You observe that as well. Yeah, the, <clears throat> the gerrymandering, this concept of drawing districts in order to advantage one party or another, is incredibly old. It's rooted in the 1700s when the uh, governor of Massachusetts was involved in kind of uh, drawing lines there to advantage his own party. That looked and like salamanders, by the way. That, yeah, and that's that's where the, the word comes from. Uh, the guy's name was Jerry, so you attached <laughs> Jerry to salamander. It's actually pronounced Gary. I know. I and know. then it changed <laughs> over time, yeah. which is weird. But Emily for little, the trivia. I was going to say, little trivia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll, you, we'll hear that at a bar on uh, Wednesday night. <laughs> right, yeah, there you go. Go, go Wallace. And, and uh, so it's not new at all. And if you look back to the maps, even going back, you know, a century or more, you see these weird little uh, contortions that the districts take on. Uh, so this is an, an, a new issue. What makes it um, important now is the fact that technology and political realities have made it incredibly easy for incumbent lawmakers to choose their own voters. And that- Go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say, you know, uh, what we have in Pennsylvania is the result of the re- last redistricting that took place around the 2010 census. So redistricting happens every time there's the, – the, it's based on this principle of one vote to one person. Uh, and in an ideal world, every – you know, when uh, when you look at the state legislative races and you look at the congressional races, every person is supposed to have a vote. Now, of course, populations change. Uh, Some areas will lose population. Some areas will gain population. And so the area that uh, a a district, say the 7th district, uh, if the population increases, then naturally you have to change the lines to reflect that to make sure that roughly there's one person, one vote working. Um, but you can uh, you can manipulate that to make it so that, for example, a Republican is more likely to win the resulting district or a Democrat is more likely to win the resulting district. And what we're seeing, especially after in the 2010 uh, redistricting, there is a concerted effort by the National Republican Party. It's something called Red Map. And they will, because um, generally legislatures are responsible for drawing these lines, uh, what we saw was that the Republican Party, you know, funded uh, candidates and tried to make sure that they they had control of the state legislatures. Once they did that, they were able to draw lines that were in kind of more to their party's advantage. 
Let's talk more. We'll talk more about some of the specifics in just a moment. But Lindsay, as I said, I wanted to turn back to you because I'm always interested in what's happening in Philadelphia, in the southeastern part of the state. Because, quite frankly, Harrisburg, the state capital, Pennsylvania politics, Pennsylvania policy, does not get as much attention in Philadelphia as it does here in in Harrisburg, since we are in the state capital. Since you've been working on this issue for the past year or so, is it an issue of concern to voters in Philadelphia and the southeastern part of the state? Um, I definitely think it's an issue of concern in the southeastern uh, part of the state. As far as Philadelphia proper, I'm not so sure about that, just because they have such a democratic stronghold um, in the city of Philadelphia. Um, But the districts surrounding Philadelphia um, are some of the most gerrymandered districts in the country. Um, If you look at uh, District 7, that has kind of become the poster child of gerrymandering, uh, which is right outside of Philadelphia and includes, I believe, five counties um, in the state. And it's kind of become a joke. Um, It's often referred to as the two um, Disney characters. I think it's Goofy kicking Donald or Donald kicking Goofy. Um, it's, it's, It's become a real concern, especially to people in the suburbs of Philadelphia. But let me just point out, and uh, I'm going to talk to uh, Emily and Wallace about this as well, that uh, those districts, and one thing that your reporting found, Emily, is that Pennsylvania's 67 counties, there are Republican majorities, uh, meaning in the county commissioners, uh, for the most part, are Republicans, in 53 of those 67 counties. Lindsay, the, the, the counties that you're talking about are, for the most part, overwhelmingly Republican as far as the uh, registration goes. I shouldn't say overwhelmingly. Some are. Chester County, for example, is one that uh, where Republicans have a pretty big uh, majority. So Republicans would come back and say, you know, okay, you're saying this is an odd shape, but at the same time, there are Republican majorities there. Lindsay? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yes. And I think that if you look at um, voter registration rolls, you'll see that uh, traditionally they have been uh, Republican counties. We're talking about Delaware County. We're talking about Chester County. We're talking about Montgomery County and Bucks County, uh, the suburbs of Philadelphia in southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, but we can see if we track and look at the voter rolls over time, these areas are becoming more Democratic. And I think that's something that... Um, should be taken into count. And I also wanted to add that <clears throat> some of the people who research this say that shapes are really a symptom. So there could be a strange shape because a district is following a municipal line, um, a municipal boundary, and that's not a bad thing. Um, but, uh, you know, it's really looking, doing some statistical work. Often that's what uh, would prove or strongly suggest or support um, that gerrymandering has gone on. And one of the researchers I spoke to um, likened it to, you know, the the shape is a symptom, much like you would describe what you're feeling to a doctor or review your fam- family medical history, whereas a statistical analysis is an example um, of something that could be done along the lines of an MRI or a blood test to confirm a diagnosis that a doctor might have uh, have based on a hunch. Well, she touched on this, but why is Pennsylvania considered one of the most gerrymandered states in the country? <clears throat> what we're looking at, part of it is statistical, you know, looking at... Um, 
there's this measure of how many wasted votes there are. And this concept, which Emily might be able to speak better to, but basically what you're talking about is how many votes would it take to get to a majority of the uh, of the number of voters voting in any election. And what we what we see in many of these districts is that the Republicans have have carved out districts that are incredibly partisan. Either there's a large surplus of Democrats or there's a large surplus of Republicans. And the Democrats are wasting more of their votes because they are they're packed into districts, mostly around the, uh, the either in Pittsburgh or the Philadelphia area. Uh, and they, they quote unquote waste their votes because um, they're they're inside of a smaller district. Mm-hmm. Emily, you uh, did some work. You talked to you mentioned that you had talked to someone who mm-hmm. uses science to actually uh, measure this. There were well, statistics. Statistics, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, same thing. Anyway, uh, that the, there are three indexes indices that uh, they look at, and he found that Pennsylvania was the worst in the country in two of the three, and third to worst in the third. Talk about that, if you will. So one was what uh, Wallace mentioned, which is the efficiency. It's called an efficiency gap. And that, you know, the term wasted votes, like he said, it basically whatever you need to get a majority of vote, um, votes above that are considered wasted votes. And then any votes for a losing candidate are also considered wasted votes. And in a perfect world, um, there would be the same number for each party. Um, When you look at uh, the gap um, between the number of wasted votes, that's the efficiency gap. And a large one could imply gerrymandering. The other index they used looking at the seats to votes curve. So they are looking at 20 decades of, I'm sorry, 20 decades, two decades, um, 20 years of congressional election data. Um, and in that case, they looked at the the seats, the share of the seats won by the party and compared that to um, their historical average of the state vote share over twice as long. And then the third um, is a common measure used by statisticians to measure skew so that they looked at the mean and median in each voting district. And for each um, of those three indices, they did further statistical analysis to determine whether the um, res- use that to determine whether the results were more um, attributable to chance or more statistically likely to be the result of manipulation. Um, so, if they're outside that zone of chance, um, you know, the the one in five hundred or whatever, or one in a million, then that's more likely to signify that, um, or it signifies that the result was more likely due to manipulation than chance. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, who has offered transapical mitral valve repair procedures for more than three years and currently serves as a trial site for over 50 clinical trials. Information at upmcpinnacle.com slash myheart. We're talking about uh, a new project here on WITF, other public media stations across the, the state, and also a collaboration with Penn Live Patriot News about redistricting Pennsylvania. It's uh, called Over the Line. That's the uh, examination of the state's redistricting process. Joining us, WITF's Emily Previty, and from Philadelphia, WHYY's Lindsay Lazarski, both of Keystone Crossroads, Crossroads, and Wallace McKelvey, State House reporter for Penn Live Patriot News. Keystone Crossroads is a statewide 
statewide initiative reporting on the challenges facing Pennsylvania cities. WITF is part of the collaboration with three other public media organizations. To learn more, visit WITF.org and click on Keystone Crossroads. It's supported regionally by the law firm of McNeese, Wallace, and Newark. If you have a question or a comment, something you'd like to talk about having to do with redistricting, gerrymandering, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at smarttalkwitf. Again, the phone number, 1-800-729-7532. Let's take a phone call from Jim and Enola. Jim, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Hi, Jim. Uh, this is a, a great topic. I'm glad you're doing this. I am involved with an organization you know about called Fair Districts PA, and we are the major uh, organization that is uh, spearheading the effort to uh, change the, the Pennsylvania Constitution. Uh, one thing, I'm not going to repeat the stuff that your guests have said uh, because they've covered it very well. Fair Districts PA is nonpartisan. We're not Democrat. We're not Republican. We oppose all gerrymandering. And, for example, like I think you alluded to in Maryland and Connecticut, for example, the Democrats have gerrymandered uh, those legislators. And so, like I said, we're, we're opposed to all gerrymandering. Um, and and it's, a, it's a fairly complicated process to amend the Pennsylvania Constitution, as you also alluded to. What you've basically got to do is you've got to uh, pass a law uh, to House and Senate in, uh, in, in one session, then pass an identical law in the next session, and then it goes to the voters for a referendum. In order to have a law passed that would change the way that districts are drawn uh, before the 2020 census goes into effect, we have got to pass a bill in the House and Senate in the 1718 session and then in the 1920 session, and then it would go to the voters. So it's a, it's a very tight time frame, and, uh, and we're working hard to do it. Uh, the, the other, another point I wanted to make was it's not just a question of who wins and who loses between Democrats and Republicans. We see it as a problem with the kind of legislators that are being elected. A gerrymandered system uh, tends to elect people who are extremists. They're either extreme right-wingers or extreme left-wingers. You don't have very many moderates, and the problem is you elect a bunch of left-wingers and a bunch of right-wingers, and then you ask them to go to the legislature or to Congress and compromise, and surprise, surprise, it never happens. Um, and let me just close by saying if, if, if you are like me and you're interested in uh, trying to make a difference in this area, we invite people to go to our website. Our website is fairdistrictspa.com. That's fairdistrictspa.com. Hey, hey Jim, thank and you. Join it, and you'll be uh, and and and, and you'll be uh, in the loop for emails and so forth. All right, Jim, thank you very much. And I wanted to touch on something that uh, Jim just brought up here, and this is kind of the big question: uh, if we accept that gerrymandering is occurring, and that one party is dominating over the other. So what's the impact of that? I mean, what Jim was alluding to is, I mean, obviously we have a very partisan Congress right now, a very divided country overall. Uh, There are fewer and fewer moderates. What is the result in practical terms of gerrymandering of one party over another? 
this is part of the problem of trying to to show the impact yep. of gerrymandering because it can become very dry, very academic, very philosophical. As I said, eyes know. glazed over. Exactly. Back. Yeah. But uh, one part of this is the, the the major talking point is that it it creates a more partisan legislature, and as we see in Harrisburg and as we see in D.C. What that often means is that not a lot gets done. Uh, for example, you look at the budget impasses that Pennsylvania has had. It's hard to draw a straight line from gerrymandering to the budget impasse. But there's a, a very compelling argument to be made that right now, the way the, the law, lines are drawn, both at the state level and at the congressional level, you're creating very safe districts where people, the, the only challenge an incumbent has in many of these districts is in the primary. If they're challenged either to their left or to their right, that means more extreme candidates challenge them uh, for their party's nomination. And when that's the case, what you usually get is people who are hardliners who maybe are, are less inclined to compromise and work across the aisle. But there are other consequences as well that are less uh, academic and, and philosophical. Uh, Val Arkush, the uh, chairwoman of the uh, Montgomery County Board of Commissioners, made a, a very, I thought, a very cogent point when I talked to her for my story that ran today on Penn Live. Uh, she said that you know, there, it, it's hard for her to, to point to anything specifically because she's not in that world. But in her view, you know, there are probably many missed opportunities because in Montgomery County. What you've got there is the lines are drawn in such a way that Montgomery County, which tends to vote Democratic, is split between five different congressional districts. They have five different congresspeople, all men, and all and three of the five are Republicans, um, and, and none of them live in the district. So she said that, you know, she doesn't know that any of in them— In the county, you mean? Uh, um, yeah, none of them live in the county. Okay. Yeah, okay. thank you for that correction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so I was going to say, then we have a bigger country. <laughs> yeah, that's a, bit, that's a much bigger story. <laughs> but but so, so five congressmen, and none of them live in Montgomery County, which Montgomery County is a, is a fairly large county. You're talking about it, it's more populous than Wyoming, for example. So yeah, it's the third biggest po yeah, populated It's a very county large county. Yeah. And, and so when she, she says... You know, she's not sure that there's anyone championing the county's issues. So, for example, in President Trump's budget proposal that came out earlier this year, it cut some funding to a transportation program that the county may very well be relying on for an extension of SEPTA service out from Philadelphia to King of Prussia, where the big mall is, and it's in Montgomery County. Uh, a lot of people live there. A lot of people would potentially benefit from the expansion of SEPTA services out there, a uh, commuter rail line. So she points to that as, as one possible area where she doesn't know that anyone in Congress is fighting specifically for Montgomery County. I'm going to jump around on you guys throughout and, and feel free to jump right back. But uh, one thing that is very noticeable over the last uh, 20 years or so is that, uh, you know, and even though the districts, okay, if we give, we accept that they are gerrymandered, there are very few, I, mean, I don't know if I'd go that far or not, but very often there is not a competitor, yeah. that there are not competitive races that, uh, you know, say it's Republican running an incumbent. Democrats don't put up a candidate. I mean, if you don't have competition, it's going to stay this way. Lindsay, I heard you yeah. agreeing with that. 
absolutely. And I wanted to jump in there and just say that it's been, as Wallace mentioned, it's been really hard to draw a line to say what is the impact of gerrymandering. But we know that there are sweetheart gerrymanders and there are safe districts. And just as you mentioned, a safe district means a non-competitive competitive election. Candidates aren't out there reaching out to voters, talking about the issues, um, you know, holding debates, um, things like that. So it's kind of disengaging um, the public when when an election is not competitive. And like you said, there are a lot of seats that, you know, um, um, that there's no competition. That that there's no, no one other candidate. On, yeah. No one running on the other side. And I think that that is not good. Non-competitive elections is not good for, for representation. But even if uh, a district is gerrymandered and one party has an advantage over the other, why doesn't the other party put up a candidate? It's incredibly costly to right, run exactly. a campaign. It's, it's, like, it's like incinerating money, you know, if, if, if or not always necessarily, but... They're going to look at where they can get the most bang for their buck. And so at least some of the time, they're just it's not going to be worth it. I think, you know, well, I understand where you're coming from, Emily. And I mean, yeah, that makes sense. But if you you want to get your ideas out there and even though you know that you're at a disadvantage as a candidate, as a party, it would seem to make sense that you at least put up some kind of competition. I mean, you're looking at me like, uh, Scott, you don't know what you're talking about. No, I, that's I, not I, what I, that's... I know I know what you're saying. But I, I know the reality is it costs a lot of money. And you wonder whether you do want to incinerate that uh, that money. And but at the same time, I just wonder if you, you, you need, and I think there's need additional, competition. And I, well, and I know that this is stepping slightly away, maybe, from what the main point that you're trying to drive at. But um, I think... Another result that we spoke about already was sort of more gridlock um, in legislative bodies. And so I think that in addition to it being a financial, um, you know, sort of uphill battle, candidates may look at what the reality is, what they're working towards, what they're working to win. And as Wallace said, the budget impasses of the past few years, and we know it's bad, excuse me, for the budget to be late. Um, Eventually that leads to, you know, in the worst cases we saw in 2015, I believe, People weren't getting paid. People had to, other government entities had to borrow money. There was in, there were interest costs. There were credit downgrades, which exacerbates those effects. But then beyond that, the budget sucks up all in the, the air in the room. So policy dis- gets done, right? Policy discussions that may need to happen and things that may need to change. It just it doesn't occur. And so from somebody, from someone who's on the outside looking in, considering running, one, they're a long shot. It's going to be really hard work. And then what are they working toward, right? And there are some nuances here that I think now might be a good time to throw out there. Um, first of all, you, you, you talk to people about gerrymandering, and, and it's uh, – for example, there, there's uh, – Democrats tend to crowd into more urban districts. So there, there's a bit of a nuance here where in some respect – Democrats do contribute to this problem by the fact that they, you know, the liberal uh, voters tend to go toward more urban districts. Uh, and what you end up seeing is, uh, for example, Val Arca, she, she actually ran uh, for a congressional seat, uh, the one that extends, uh, includes North Philadelphia and part of Montgomery County, uh, which is a heavily Democratic district. She's Democrat? 
Yeah, she's a Democrat. Okay, okay. Yes. Um, and, and she she ran for Congress. But she had three opponents in this race, and this was a primary for the Democratic nomination. Uh, two of her opponents were from North Philadelphia, and they had a, a larger swath of the voters in that district at the time. Uh, she placed third, and she was, uh, you know, from Montgomery County. Uh, so a, a person from Montgomery County would have a very difficult time competing with a Democrat from Philadelphia. But what's that have to do with gerrymandering, though? I mean, well, that's, the way, the, you, that's you, the way the district's laid out. Well, if you look at the shape of the district, it's it's shaped a bit like a tuning fork. If <laughs> if you if you can, I like that. the I like the kind of images you guys are drawing up at our heads. Well, yeah, <laughs> so you've got you've got like a, a big glob in the center, and that's North Philadelphia, and then yeah. you've got two tentacles that kind of reach out toward the more liberal Philadelphia suburbs. And the way the district is drawn, it's drawn to include as many Democrats as possible. This is something called packing in uh-huh. uh, in the jargon of redistricting, which means you're trying to pack as many voters from the opposing party into a district as possible. Uh, another kind of element of nuance here is, you know, uh, there are so-called good, you know, gerrymandered districts as well. And it's based on who you talk to. But there are examples of districts. I don't believe there are any in Pennsylvania, although there might be some at the state level. Uh, that are drawn in such a way to make sure that a minority, be it racial or religious, that they have a representative of their own in either the legislature or in Congress. There's an example of this in Chicago, which, uh, similar to the district I was talking about that includes Philly and part of Montgomery County, shaped like a tuning fork, Mm -hmm. and it connects via a very narrow strip. No one lives in the narrow strip. It is a, uh, it's the median of an expressway, <laughs> and and what that what that district. Now, where's sh- that Chicago? That's in Chicago, okay. and what that does, it connects two predominantly Latino communities, and it makes sure that there's a, a Latino member of Congress representing those communities. Mm. Um, there's a very good argument about whether or not that's a good thing, um, but. That, that's an, an, a nuance that we have to consider. Emily, uh, and I'm going to take some phone calls here in just a moment, but uh, Emily, we have a similar district here in southeastern Pennsylvania. I don't know if it is a District 6 or District 7 that, six. that goes to... Says a, no, it doesn't have... It's 16. Just, You're talking about Reading, right? Yeah. It doesn't 16. have just a... Um, a median, a highway median, but not, it's just a little wider where, uh, you know, there's just a sliver going through the city of Reading. And also, I thought there were some areas of Chester County there too, but go ahead. It's a, the sliver connects from Lancaster County to Reading, basically. And it was described to me as a park, but when you actually go there, that's not, I mean, there's a park there, but there's also residential and things like that. So yeah, I mean, that that district was redrawn as well. Reading used to be part of the sixth. Now it's in the sixteenth. Um, but to go back to what um, Wallace was saying about nuance, I wanted to go back to the technology aspect of this yes. and how we can say yes, that's empowered some of the most precise gerrymandering, um, and that continues as as things evolve, um, as the software evolves. But the flip side of that is as the cost of it comes down and these programs become available to more people, I think um, Aptitude is one of the, if not the one of the main companies that produces the software. If you look on their website, there's a version of it available for you know hundreds of dollars, right? So um, as this becomes more accessible to people, 
they can sort of take a crack at this themselves because and that famously happened right, in 2012. And this is all empowered by um, you know data, a lot of which is publicly available, or maybe you have to pay for it. But if you, as a as a private um, individual, or even if you're um, with a, a an advocacy group that's um, you know filing a lawsuit, you could potentially get this software um, and use it to try to draw some lines of your own that follow the law and and see what kind of results you get. Um, there is a an initiative that's doing just that, um, spearheaded by the committee committee of seventy in Philly. So the flip side of that is that it, it could and it it is empowering quote regular people outside of politics to um, you know kind of put evidence out there that there are other ways to do this that may have more equitable outcomes, make the playing field a little bit fairer when it comes to elections. As I mentioned, there was a woman, I believe, from Northampton County uh, in 2012 who, on her own, on her, in her free time, came up with uh, uh, districts that just using her home computer, that she was able to do it. And a lot of people looked at it and said, you know what, that makes more sense. Than yeah, what she was, she was a graphic designer who just right. got interested mm-hmm. right. in it. Amanda and, Holt, right? Yeah, and, and now she's a Lehigh County commissioner. But I, I encourage people listeners out there, uh, check out the actual maps. You know, you, you can find them fairly easily. Just search Google for, example, the uh, search for the 7th Congressional District map in Pennsylvania. And you're talking about these narrow slivers. I actually visited two narrow slivers of land in the 7th District, and this is the one that uh, famously is called Goofy Kicking Donald mm-hmm. Duck. Mm-hmm. The very The point where Goofy's foot connects with Donald Duck's rear end is a hospital, and it, the, the the width of the district is roughly the size of the hospital property line. Which hospital is that? Uh, that's the Brandywine Hospital okay. in yeah. Chester County, I right believe. north of Coatesville. Yeah, and there's another place in the in the district because it's a very convoluted uh, shape that this district took on, where the the width of the district is just slightly larger than the width of the property line of a. Uh, a restaurant, a very high-end kind of swanky bar and restaurant called Creed's Seafood and Steaks. Mm -hmm. And I visited there. I talked to the owner and you know, he he said, "What happens at Creed's uh, stays at Creed's." (laughs) (laughs) It never happened. (laughs) Bob Bob is in Harrisburg. Bob, you're on the air. Hi, good good morning. Morning. I was, you know, looking at the maps myself, you know, having heard the discussion. And again, Pennsylvania is a diverse state with a lot of rural and and suburban and urban areas. Now, those areas all need, you know, representation. I mean, they've got five districts down in the Philadelphia area. That's more districts and representation than we have in the central part of the state. And yet, you know, we, we need appropriate representation, too. And those people in those smaller districts that, that are down there, 7, 2, 1, 6, 13, you know, they should be represented by, by people who think like they do. Um, you, you do want to have diverse views in the legislature, but the people shouldn't be fighting over it. That's why we have, you know, winner-take-alls in our elections and things like that. This, uh, the, um, the counties themselves are strangely shaped, um, but they, they tend to follow, you know, regional um, things like rivers or whatnot and towns and cities. And so the districts themselves down there where people are packed in, um, they're probably really difficult to draw no matter what. Mm-hmm. And all I'm going to say is uh, I'm sure the people in the district feel like they're represented, but maybe maybe uh, the people would not be, um, their neighbors would not be, because maybe there's only uh, 10% uh, um, conservative or liberal folks in those districts, but 
if they were drawn into their district, then they would they would be marginalized, just like you were talking about earlier. They would be marginalized. They would be the marginalized percentage. Instead, they get an opportunity to vote for somebody that they prefer. Bob, thank you very much for your call. Lindsay, the point he's bringing up and uh, the, the whole idea behind this is that it is not to be based on politics and party. It is to be based on population, correct? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Each district has to have about an equal number of people. So that's why you see a lot of districts in Philadelphia and the southeastern part of the state is because that's where more people live. The population is greater. Um, And and I just want to make another point. When we talk about uh, redistricting, in addition to population, although it may not be law, there are good government practices as to how to draw a district. And and one of them is keeping communities of interest together. Um, So keeping uh, counties, keeping uh, cities and their suburbs together, these are considered good practices. Um, The districts also have to be contiguous. So as Wallace was talking about those little slivers, the the district has to be connected. It can't be disjointed. Um, So these are some of the things, you know, as Emily mentioned, people drawing their own maps that, that these are the decisions lawmakers have to think about, is what communities of interest should be kept together. There should not be slivers, is what you're saying. Uh, you know, it, I think it depends. You have to look at the topography. If it is a highway, like Wallace mentioned, and that's a natural divide, if it's um, if it's a, a, a lake, if it's a river, if it's a mountain, I mean, I think you're going to see some variation. You're going to see munis- municipal borders being followed, and that probably accounts for some of the bizarre lines that we see. But when you see a community or a county that's split in half, that's a red flag. That's a warning sign. What What's going on there? Why is that community split? Mm. Um, a good example of that is the city of Reading. Right. Um, it's carved out of Berks County and included, in, as Emily mentioned, in the 16th district. Um, I met a man in Berks County who said, you know, my fortune, my family's um, future is dependent on Berks County. And Reading is a huge part of Berks County. And so he felt that his family, his um, the economics of his family could be impacted by gerrymandering because of that. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. We're talking about redistricting and a new uh, a new project, a collaboration between uh, WITF, WHYY in Philadelphia, the other public radio stations across the state, part of our Keystone Crossroads project, and also Penn Live and the Patriot News here in uh, central Pennsylvania. Our guest today, WITF's Emily Previty, WHYY's Lindsay Lazarski, Wallace McKelvey, the State House reporter for Penn Live Patriot News. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1 800 729 7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. We have a lot of calls. I'm going to get to as many as I can here. Gary's in Juniata County. Gary, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Hi, Gary. You know, one of the things we, we complain about is some of these other countries where they, they basically just have one party. We're supposed to at least have two parties, and I would hope that someday we're going to have, you know, three and four and five so we can govern more in a coalition kind of fashion. But when you go to an election and there are no candidates running because they know they can't win or there's just no chance, and then you add in the expense and the signatures and all the things you have to do, 
to run, when you're beating your head against the wall, it makes you feel like your vote doesn't matter. And I think that's the critical point, is everybody would like their vote to matter. And, and I think that's what we lose sight of. And so with all the statistics and everything else, put that aside and let people know, I have voted 48 years straight. I have never missed a vote for primary or general. And it really gets discouraging when there's, like, no candidates in your party that can run because they know they can't win. Thank you very much. Hey, Gary, thank you very much for your call. An opinion that, uh, you know, kind of touched on earlier of, of you know, the, some of the, the realistic uh, challenges in facing some of these candidates uh, that don't run. Let's go to Blaine in York. Blaine, you're on the air. Hi. Um, the comment that I wanted to do is we need to make the, in addition to the being population equal, if we look at the ratio of the perimeter of the district divided by the area of the district, and they have to all be as equal across the state as possible, would totally eliminate the problem of gerrymandering. All right. Thank you very much for your call. You guys want to touch on that? That would be compactness, right, that he's talking about. And I mean, that is a measure, um, but it's, I don't know, to me, it almost seems like it's kind of fuzzy. The words, um, you know, the word compact is in, is in the legislation. Um, but I don't know, Lindsay, this might be a good time to sort of segue to the lawsuits, which right. I think Lindsay could really talk about because yeah, that gets just, into that a little bit. Let me just mention that uh, you probably heard about this late last week, but Republicans here in Pennsylvania, Republican legislators, went to court uh, to, well, I'll have Lindsay explain it, but there was a ruling, came down a major ruling that was kind of against their interest. Lindsay, talk about the lawsuit, if you would. Yeah, so um, basically there's actually two lawsuits um, moving through uh, the courts right now um, having to do with gerrymandering in Pennsylvania. Uh, one is in Commonwealth Court and one is in uh, federal court. And both of them are arguing the same issue. Basically, they're saying that um, the 2011 redistricting, uh, basically they're challenging the 2011 congressional district map and saying that it's a partisan gerrymander designed to give Republicans an advantage over Democrats. And these cases are moving very fast. Um, trials are set up for December 11th in the state case and for December 4th in the federal case. Um, now, the Republican leadership um, has been trying to delay these cases, and um, both the state and federal courts have given the uh, cases a green light to move forward. And so things are going to start heating up uh, next month, and it, and it should be really interesting to watch and to see what happens. If Republicans, and let's talk about the state case, uh, first of all, and Republicans, what they would like, one of the things they would like is that uh, we get a ruling from the Supreme Court of the United States on the Wisconsin case that uh, could supersede what happens here in Pennsylvania. But what those who are kind of waiting for this is uh, whether there, the lines would have to be, I don't know, redrawn before the next election? Would that, is that a, a possibility of happening here in Pennsylvania? It, it's a possibility. Um, so basically the, pe the petitioners are asking for relief. Um, they want a new map before the 2018 uh, midterm elections, and that's when all the seats uh, for Cong uh, for the U.S. House of Representatives in Pennsylvania are up for grabs. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the Commonwealth Court um, 
was must make a decision by the new year. So, you know, before 2018, they're going to have to make a decision of whether um, the 2011 map is it follows the state constitution or not. And then we'll see what happens from there. Um, if, if they throw out the map and demand a new map, I mean, that's going to affect a lot of people. People, uh, candidates, volunteers, campaigners are already gearing up and getting ready for the 2018 midterms. So, you know, if, if that happens, I'm sure there'll be appeals to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Um, but it's, it remains to be seen. Could be a lot of confusion, too. Before we take more phone calls, Wallace, I know you worked on this part of the project. Other states, what other states do? And with that, what alternatives are there for how Pennsylvania does? Yeah, does the, there are some solutions in other states right now. And one of the gold standards that a lot of people who are really up on this issue cite is Iowa, where they have uh, what's called an advisory commission. I won't go into all the details, but basically it's a separate agency that draws the maps. Then they have a commi commission that actually has public hearings and is supposed to be nonpartisan. Um, they offer these maps ultimately to the legislature, which will vote up and down. And the legislature has the opportunity to amend the maps that are put forward to it if they want to, if the uh, the maps fail, you know, to, to get a uh, get a majority vote three times in their legislature. Uh, so far, that hasn't been necessary, and they've been able to kind of to get more even-handed maps through without so many uh, weird contortions and cartoon characters taking form in these districts. Um, although, if you actually look at what the results are, uh, in Iowa, it, it hasn't really led to parity between the popular vote and the number of Republican elected officials. Part of that might very well harken back to this concept that Democrats tend to congregate in urban areas. And right. in Iowa, you've only got Des Moines, really. Um, and that's that's where their one Democratic congressperson comes from. Another alternative is what we see in California and Arizona, and this is an independent commission, um, somewhat similar, where it's a nonpartisan commission that's created, uh, you know, with very strict laws, very strict regulations about uh, people not having ties to specific candidates or specific parties. Some of them even, some of the states that have them, and, and most of them are out west, uh, they even say that you can't run for office for X number of years or months after you finish your service on this commission. Um, in California, it hasn't, hasn't been around for very long, but it also, to date, it hasn't been terribly successful in reaching parity. Again, in California, the issue is it's a predominantly Democratic state. And, you know, most of the districts, at least so far in the elections that have happened uh, since this system took over, um, Democrats still hold the majority of those of seats compared to their share of the popular vote. Arizona, which has a similar system to California, they have achieved relative parity between the parties on popular vote and actual elected officials. But the question I have to ask is parity the goal? Because, I mean, we mentioned earlier, 53 of 67 Pennsylvania counties that run by Republicans. Is parity the goal or making sure that people, that if there are more Republicans in a district, that that's not even considered. 
that it's based strictly on population and not cutting municipal municipalities in half and you know having uh, municipalities. 160-mile district. Pardon me? Or 160-mile-long district or whatever right, it is. Right, right. I mean, so should parity be the goal is my, my, my question. I think parity, if you have districts that are drawn in a way that they are contiguous, that they keep communities of interest together, in Pennsylvania, you know, there's been analysis that would say you'd have more Democrats in Congress representing Pennsylvania if the districts were more uniform. Uh, however, it's a very good point. I mean, there's a, there's a real debate about, you know, should there be parity? Because, as you know, in in America, we don't rely on the popular vote to elect our president, for example. We rely on the Electoral College. Uh, We're a representative democracy. So there's a bigger issue nationally with that, too. Go ahead, Amy. At one point, I wanted to pick up on what Wallace said about most or many of these um, independent commissions being out west, like in Arizona and California. California changed that in 08 um, through a direct voter referendum. And so um, states that are out west also tend to have or more likely to have initiative and referendum, which we don't have in Pennsylvania. Um, there are transparency is generally better. Um, it's like a sort of a, a different philosophy of governance um, or a different shade of it versus here, which is one of the points in um, my feature that aired yesterday and posted yesterday um, at overthelinepa.org, uh, which is where you can find my work and Wallace's and Lindsay's and everybody else's um, who's working on the project. So, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like a broader thing. Um, These policies and laws that are in place outside of redistricting that perhaps um, enable it to persist, even if people may want something, a different system for establishing congressional uh, districts or state legislative districts, for that matter. Let's uh, take a call. One more call from Hans in Mount Joy. Hans, you're on the air. Hi, thank you. Thanks for taking my phone call. Yes. I had a comment in regards to the comment earlier about keeping the communities together and counties together. Why not adjust the delegate number per county if, when the population changes to keep everything simple instead of redistricting? Okay, thank you very much for your call. I think what he's talking about is uh, whole counties would be grouped regionally. Lindsay, what about that? Um, that becomes difficult because of population changes, right? There's... Um, I think 435 uh, seats in the House of Representatives. So as population changes around the country, uh, Pennsylvania has a different number of representatives. So Yeah, we've uh, been losing con- congressional districts for the last uh, 40 years. Exactly, and we're scheduled to, you know, lose we're predicted to lose another one or possibly two in this next round of redistricting. Um, so that would be from 18 representatives to 17 or even 16. So, and how, there are, I think, 63 counties in Pennsylvania. I'm trying to say 67. Yeah. Sorry, hey. 57 counties in Pennsylvania. So, um, some some will be divided, mm. and you know, you just you just want to think that those those decisions are. Um, really thoughtful. Hey, um, we only have about 30, 30 just, seconds left. Go okay, ahead, I just wait. wanted, uh, Wallace said that it sounded li- that I was not clear when I uh, mentioned our URL. So if anyone misheard me, it's over the line, PA.org. Okay. And uh, this project will be going on for how long? Uh, round one uh, launched on Monday, and those initial stories will be airing through the end of this month, and then we're expecting to do round two. Early next year. And Penn Live and uh, Patriot News was? 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to continue reporting on this for the duration. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to thank the three of you for being with us today. Lindsay Lazarski, Emily Previty, Keystone's Pens- uh, Crossroads, Wallace McKelvey, Penn Live, uh, Patriot News. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks thank for you, Scott. Me. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, there is a climate change conference going on in Bonn, Germany. We will hear directly from Bonn coming up on tomorrow's program. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a trusted resource in our communities. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle. Its 11 principal investigators and 12 nurse coordinators conduct research efforts to advance cardiovascular medicine. Information at upmcpinnacle.com slash myheart.